Hey listeners, just a few words before we dive in. We use colorful language, so now's probably a good time to put those headphones on. Also, we use a lot of humor, and we do this for two reasons. One, we bring levity, and the other is we reduce the tenseness of the very dark and serious subject matter that we discuss. At no point at any time is our humor ever to be disrespectful to the victims or the families of the victims of the cases that we cover. And be sure to listen all the way to the end. We have some palate cleansing bloopers that we include just to reset your mindset. We thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Crime Will Tell. My name is Jamie. They call me Carrie. Yeah. Fucking cheers, first of all. Cheers. Clink. What do you got today? Uh, I have orange and honey blonde ale. I have a cranberry vodka cocktail. Ooh. Yeah. I didn't know fancy tits. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So today, Carrie. What are you telling me today? Strap in. I am telling you the story of the unfortunate murder of Veronica Boza. Oh. The reason that I chose this particular case as my first one is because I actually knew Veronica. Oh, shit. Yeah. So I used to live in Nashville and got to work with Veronica on occasion. She was a very, very sweet person. I didn't know her well. I'm not trying to paint it like we were besties and hung out or anything, but I did. She was a work acquaintance. So, um, and I knew her well enough to know that she was a very, very good human being. And so I wanted to tell the story. Wow. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So this story takes place in Hermitage, Tennessee, and that's actually a suburb of Nashville, Tennessee, which is where Veronica worked. She was originally from Milan, Italy. Oh, no way. Yes. So Nashville is kind of a melting pot. There's a lot of people come there for the music industry. So there's a lot of different accents, but Veronica definitely stood out. And I loved when she would call and it was always just like, Jamie, it's Veronica. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Keep talking, girl. What else you got? I loved it. I loved her accent. It was fantastic. So she actually moved to the United States when she was 23 from Italy. Um, She wanted to pursue a career in the the entertainment industry. So she was working as a TV producer. And at the time, her career was like really taking off. She was a devout Catholic and had a ton of friends you know, she was just really well-loved and well-respected in the industry and in the community. One of her really close friends described her as a gentle soul with a huge heart. Did she have any family in the States? Not that I know of. I didn't see anything about that, but I, I believe she just kind of came to the U.S. on her own. So in 1994, Veronica married Tim Boza. And seven years after they were married, they welcomed a son who she absolutely loved and adored. She loved being a mom, and her little boy was like her entire world. And after 15 years of marriage, she and Tim 
separated and were co-parenting their son. We are going to fly back in time to August 29th of 2010. Okay. I'm with you. So this was a Sunday, and at the time, Veronica would have been 39 years old. That Sunday morning, she went to Mass. Devout Catholic girl. Yeah, right? Um, So she went to Mass at St. Edward's Catholic Church. And after the service, she met with Tim, her husband, outside the church to drop off their son, which was just kind of a regular thing for them. Like doing an exchange? Yeah, yeah. So he was spending the day with his dad, and that was just kind of their typical arrangement. So she then spoke on the phone with her boyfriend, whose name was Brian Robinson, and, and then another coworker on the fo- on her drive home. So she spoke with with two different people on her drive home. Okay, so wait. So the I'm with you. Did she drop her son off with Tim? And so now she's driving home and she's having these two conversations and she does not have her child with her. Right. Yep. So okay. Okay. her husband now has their son and she's kind of free for the rest of the day. And so she's just checking in with the coworker and making plans with her boyfriend, Brian. Got it. So... She and Brian had only been dating for a few months at that time. He was also a TV producer, and um, they met working on a show together. So she and Brian had plans that day, and um, they were going to meet at Veronica's house. So that's why, you know, they were just kind of chatting, making plans. So when Brian arrived at her house, the garage door was open, and her car was in the garage, which was, was a little strange. So as he walked up, he noticed that the the door going into the house was also wide open. Okay. So was the, the garage door being open the strange part or was the garage door being open and her being home the strange part? Was he not expecting her to be home? No, she was she was going to be home. But just typically, I think when she was home, she closed Kept the, the door shut door. for safety reasons. Yeah. And so he was kind of like. That's that's weird. And then as he got closer, he noticed that the garage door going into the house was open as well. And that's straight up weird. Yeah. So that okay. was kind of like, mm, well, that's odd. As he entered the, the home, he found Veronica on the living room floor and called police. So he found her. Yes. So he okay. actually found her. So and and obviously in a condition that he immediately called police. This was the same day that she went to mass and then exchanged her son with Tim and gave her son to Tim. Yeah, and then immediately drove home. Brian was on his way to her house. Like this all happened very very quickly. Okay, so this time frame is real short. Yeah. Okay. There was a like very very small window that this happened. So Brian comes in, finds Veronica immediately calls police and when officers arrived they noticed that like obviously her car was in the garage the door was open but there were items from her purse kind of spilled on the garage floor like obviously there was some sort of chaos that happened and it seemed very obvious to them that she was targeted and followed and attacked as she was getting out of her vehicle Uh. so she her body was in the living room And there was, you know, a pool of blood around her. Police noticed that she appeared to have multiple gunshot wounds. The the curtains were were pulled down. There were chairs moved around. And there was just these obvious signs that there was some sort of struggle inside the house. When you say the curtains were pulled down, were they like pulled down off the wall? Yeah. Like they had been like obviously ripped off. it, It seemed as though she was being chased by someone and there was just like 
furniture kind of thrown Chaos. around and whatever. Yeah. Okay. They they noticed that she had powder burns on her hands, uh, which would have indicated that she had tried to grab a gun and she'd Ooh. obviously put up a fight against whoever had attacked her. Um, police didn't find a, a murder weapon at the house and noticed that um, there weren't any shell casings. So whoever had oh. killed her had obviously taken the weapon and any shell casings with them. So they were just kind of like, shit, okay. But they did actually end up finding one shell casing that had rolled against a wall and was hidden. Mm. And so they did end up finding one shell casing. So that was at least something that they had to go on. And they also noticed that Veronica's purse and other items were at the scene, but her phone was missing, which was strange. They also found money on the kitchen counter. Her jewelry was still there. So it was pretty obvious that robbery wasn't the motive here. And so they're like, who the fuck? Who the fuck did this? So the police didn't think that this was like a, a like a stage robbery. It was clear that the scene that they came into was like a struggle. Yeah. And that she was like targeted the second she got home. She was getting out of her vehicle. Someone attacked her and then she tried to flee into the house. Do you know if she if she drove straight home from the church? Yes. Okay. Dropped off her son, went right home. So obviously detectives show up and they discovered that that Veronica had actually been the victim of a random mugging and armed robbery months before she was murdered. Oh, they knew this because they found a letter from the state of Tennessee informing her that the man who had attacked her was actually going to be released on parole. So they were immediately like, uh, we're going to look into this motherfucker. Yeah. It just happened to be laying out, you know, for them to find. Um, so thinking that he was possibly seeking revenge, um, they looked into this guy, but they learned that he was actually still in jail at the time of her murder. So that's a strong alibi. Yeah. And like crossed off the suspect list immediately. So then police are like, well, where do we go from here? I said, where did they even start? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, Brian, the boyfriend, was immediately a person of interest in her murder because he was her partner, you know, and that's always like the first place you fucking go. He found her body, red flag. There was a very small window, you know, between her leaving the church and police arriving. So they're like, we gotta look into this guy. And they wondered how he didn't like by the time that he got to her house, how he didn't witness something because there there were just a lot of red flags that kind of pointed in Brian's direction. So they were looking into him and they thought that some of his behaviors that day were a little bit off. So they took him in for questioning that day. He was visibly upset by what had happened. He obviously really loved her and You know, he had talked to her that day right after she dropped off her son. And he had actually been at a friend's house whenever Veronica had called him. So he left his friend's house to go meet her. He'd stopped at a market to to pick up something to drink. They spoke again and then he drove to her house. So, I mean, he talked to her like not long before he arrived at her house. So this this was like such a short window. So so wait, remind me, this happened in 2010. Correct. 
cell phone pinging off cell phone towers was a thing in 2010 yeah? yes okay yes, which is going to be a huge part of oh of the case oh. okay cool so he walked in he saw her on the floor and this is where police were kind of like he they were a little bit sketched out by some of his actions that day so he he saw her on the floor but he didn't check to see if she was breathing or had a pulse he also washed his hands before police arrived the detectives found it strange that he didn't try to assist her or, you know, provide any sort of medical attention. But I don't even know how I would respond if I went over to someone that I was romantically interested in's home and found them laying on their living room floor in a pool of blood and they're clearly not moving. I'm making right. an assumption here that she was not moving. Yeah, I mean, it was like he immediately was like, fuck call police yeah i i think i would be in a total state of shock i am not an emt i'm not a paramedic i have no medical training whatsoever i i don't do well with blood i don't do well with people being injured i think i would just be like i'm gonna get you help because i can't provide you any sort of assistance also i mean we are true crime fans you don't touch shit at a scene true you know what I mean? So it may have just been like, okay, I I can't help her. I can't do anything. I'm not going to touch anything, but I'm going to call the police. Like, I, in my mind, he did the right thing. Fun fact. Yeah. I used to be an EMT. No shit. And even then, if I found somebody that I was romantically involved with laying on the floor of their living room in a pool of blood after having talked to them twice not very long ago, I just don't know how I would have responded. Yeah. I might have done the same thing Brian did. Right. Don't touch the body. Call the fucking police. Yeah. Also, you just became my emergency contact. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I can see why detectives were a little bit leery about how he reacted, but I don't think that he did anything wrong. So he said that Veronica was the love of his life and insisted that he had nothing to do with the murder, but he did during the interview, suggests that they look into Veronica's husband, Tim. Wait, husband? Were they still married? Yes. Yes. They're, oh, they were they, only separated. They were separated, and their divorce was close to being finalized. Oh. So. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Brian informed detectives that Veronica and Tim were going through a very contentious divorce and a custody dispute over their son, and he thought that Tim was capable of doing some pretty gnarly things. So he was like, if you're going to look into somebody, I would start there. Side note, how, how old was their son at this point? There wasn't much about the son. I think he was nine. Which I love the fact that there wasn't much about him because let's keep him out of this, right? Exactly. But he was old enough to understand, like when this all broke, and because obviously he had to have been told that his mama was no longer going to see him he was old enough to understand the implications Mm -hmm. of this okay fuck they separated after 15 years of marriage and after seven years they had him yes and he was like eight or nine eight okay okay so after you know brian had informed the detectives about maybe looking into tim they discovered that their divorce was was just like within weeks of being finalized and oh. that things were 
going to be favorable to Veronica. So Brian had told them that Tim was not happy with the settlement or the custody agreement. They ended up releasing Brian after they they found nothing tying him to the murder and they kind of shifted their focus to Tim. So Veronica's soon-to-be ex-husband. So Tim was self-employed. He he had his own his own company remodeling homes and he'd hit a bit of a rough patch financially and this was all kind of happening as Veronica's producer career was just like taking off. So this was kind of a big issue for them and became a huge source of contention in their marriage. And 12 months prior to the murder, Veronica had filed for divorce and they'd fought about money and custody. And Tim was, I think, a little bit worried that she was actually going to take their son out of the country. I guess he he maybe assumed that she was going to go back to Italy where she had family. So there was just a lot of a lot of contention, a lot of issues. And they learned that there was actually a $550,000 life insurance policy on Veronica. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. And so Tim was obviously the beneficiary, but would have been taken off the policy once their divorce was final. So huge fucking red flag. Money is all the money. It's just very unfortunate. So police are like, all right, we need to we need to find Tim. So they went to Tim's house to notify him of the murder and noticed that he didn't really seem that upset or surprised or even, you know, just kind of even shaken up by the news. And my balls just dropped. (laughs) 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 Puberty. I love it. (laughs) I'm a real boy. (laughs) Anywho. He he ended up getting a little bit more emotional when he was talking about having to tell his son about his mother's death. And his son was actually at his sister's house. I'm not sure why, but late, at some point in that day, he'd taken his son to his sister's house. So so this is all the same day. So let me just let me just make sure I'm I'm tracking here. So we've got Veronica going to mass. She exchanges her son with Tim, her still husband, but in a few weeks soon to be ex-husband. Mm-hmm. She gives her son to Tim. Tim goes off and does whatever. She drives directly home, gets murdered. Yes. Brian finds her. The police immediately question Brian, mm-hmm. realize he's not the perpetrator. He says, yo, you should look at Tim. Mm-hmm. They then look at Tim. This is all the same day, and the right. son is with his sister. Yeah. So police okay. police had gone to his house not only to – I mean, they're still married, so they needed to inform him, obviously, that sure, she sure. had been killed. But we're also kind of like, so where were you, dummy? Tell us about your you know, day. Yeah. They ended up – we're like, you know, can you come with us to the station? And they ended up questioning him. And he stated that he didn't want the divorce, um, but was adamant that he had nothing to do with Veronica's death and that the last time he had seen her was at the church when he was picking up his son. So he had picked up his son. They had gone to a hardware store and a grocery store, and he'd actually provided police with receipts for both of these 
places that he had gone. And they ended up obtaining surveillance tapes from the stores. And so the receipts and the security footage from the stores actually matched up with what he'd said. And at that time, he was, you know, cleared as a suspect. Because the time window was so short. And he's saying like, yeah, after I got my son back, we went to here and then we went to here. Here are the receipts. Oh, the police are like, okay, well, we're going to corroborate that. They did because the time window was so short. They're like, well, he, yeah, he there was, there was no way anything. he okay. could have been at her house committing the murder. Um, and so then they were also able to, to verify uh, by the security footage at the market where Brian had stopped to get a drink. What he had said, his little timeline was getting to her house matched up with security footage too. So both of them were like cleared at that point. The stories that they had given were good. Yeah, like now where are the police going to go? Yeah, exactly. So they go back to the crime scene and, you know, we're like, what evidence do we have? Like, where, what are we going to do here? So they started canvassing the neighborhood and a neighbor had said that they'd seen a light colored SUV or a van parked in kind of an alleyway behind Veronica's house. And it was, it was there, but then it was gone by the time the police had arrived. And the medical examiner determined that Veronica had been shot four times, twice in the head, in the right shoulder, and then in the mid-back. Um, and she also had some defensive wounds on her arms. Oh my God. Ballistic tests yeah, had, had shown that the shell casing they found determined that the, the shots had come from a 9mm gun. Okay. So they had that to go on, and that was really all that they had at that time. So... They got the cell phone records for Veronica's phone, and they confirmed that she had had been at the church and gone back home, just like they thought. But the phone was not found at the scene, and so they assumed that the murderer had taken the phone with them when they left her house. The records showed that the phone left the scene and then was traveling down interstates in the Nashville area. And then the path of the phone just stopped. So they assumed that the phone had either been destroyed or maybe the battery had died, something, but they were just not able to track it at that point. But based on the call times on her phone, she was alive at 12.08 p.m. and dead by 12.20. Oh, my God. So there was literally a 12-minute window that all of this went down. I'm trying to think of why the perpetrator would have taken her phone. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, you can get cell phone logs and, and things like that. So from the cell phone companies, but so like w- were there emails, text messages, something, uh, maybe it's irrelevant, but just, or maybe just in a panic, like I'm going to take just anything I can think of. I don't know. Cause they obviously were like in and out. Yeah. Firing four times from a gun. You could be in and out of there in less than like three minutes. And the fact that she was shot once in the back, she was clearly running from and the curtains being pulled down. And like, she was desperately trying to escape. Yes. Yeah. God. Yeah. So police also got the phone records for Tim's phone, which matched the location of the stores that he'd visited and and so that all aligned but there were multiple calls to and from one specific number before and after tim met with veronica at the church that day 
So police found out that the number belonged to Corey Cotham, who was a friend of Tim and Veronica's. He had apparently even like, I believe, lived with them at one point or stayed with them briefly. So Corey, Corey knew both of them. Yes. Okay. I mean, he, he was mostly, I think, a friend of Tim's, but he was a friend of both of theirs. So Tim played it off kind of like it was just like normal calls between dudes, you know, just buddies, bros making calls like you do. Broskies. Yeah. Just heading to the hardware store. What's up, bro? Do you want to come over and watch Letter Kenny? Let's do it. We're going to high five for sure. So police, you know, wanted to look into Corey and they found out that he had a criminal history for numerous assaults on women. Oh, shit. Cool. Cool, cool. So they got a warrant for his cell phone records and his phone was hitting in the same general area as Veronica's that day. So near, yeah, near the church, then near Veronica's home, and then on the same path on the interstates that Veronica's phone had taken. So, whoa, Corey. Doesn't look good. Not yeah. a good look. Nope. Um, so police wanted to speak to Corey, but they also wanted to kind of play it cool and wanted him to cooperate. So they asked him to come in for questioning to help clear his friend Tim. So they kind of, you know, just were like, look, we just need to need to clear buddy and you know can you just come in and answer a few questions so he said that he and tim had spoken while he was driving back to nashville from kentucky after visiting one of his girlfriends Wait, he was i flunked yeah. geography in high school so so kentucky is north of tennessee are they do they share a border yes okay okay from nashville you can actually be in kentucky like it's, it's not far. It's like 40 miles or something, maybe. Don't hold me to that. We'll live there. But you just shoot north, and you're like in Kentucky in no time. My dad so. was born in Kentucky. Oh. Yeah, Louisville. Well, well, well. Mm -hmm. Hi, Dad. Aw. <laughs> hey, hey, Mr. Kentucky. So <laughs> I think from Nashville to Louisville, you, it's like three hours maybe or something. But oh, okay. Okay. It's, it's not sense. far. Sure. But this motherfucker, he, he was on his way back to Nashville to see a girlfriend after leaving Kentucky seeing another girlfriend. So he's a player. Yeah, so he was like on his way back to Nashville to another girlfriend's house. So this guy's a real dick. I don't know how many girlfriends he had, but whatever. Based on his story, it would have put him in a completely different area of Nashville because Hermitage, where Veronica lived, was like the eastern part of Nashville and so I like he must have been going to like West Nashville or something that just didn't match at all and because the time window was so short if his story is to be believed there's no way he right. could have yeah. been the one that shot her mm. but his phone yeah so detectives wanted to make sure that his phone was actually with him that whole day and so okay. Okay. they were just kind of like trying to play it all cool and he admitted that his phone is always with him Mm. boom you know because he's got a lot of honeys to chat with so he obviously needs he can't be without phone. that phone yeah he he needs that so police are kind of like uh hey dickhead we already pulled your phone records and you're a dumb dirty liar and he was like <laughs> what like started to flip out and got really upset and a dumb dirty liar <laughs> But, you know, then he, he started getting, like, real defensive and whatever when they called him on it. So they're like, this son of a bitch. 
After that, police got a warrant for his vehicle as well, which turned out to be a champagne-colored Cadillac Escalade, which matched the description Uh. seen by the neighbor at the scene of the crime. Rule number one, don't drive your own fucking car. Right? So police searched the vehicle, and they found a collapsible lunchbox some gloves, clothing, shoes, and just some other items, but no hard evidence tying him to the murder. I love the detail of the collapsible lunchbox. This was well, not a regular lunchbox. This was yeah. a collapsible. It collapsed. But <laughs> you'll see, you'll see you'll see why it's important. They didn't have really like any any major thing tying him to the murder, so they had to release him that day, but they still considered him like their their top suspect so there was a call on Corey's phone that day at 12 28 p.m just shortly after veronica would have been murdered right because if i'm if i remember correctly you said police have determined that she was alive at 1208 but it was dead by 1220 correct and this this call was 1228 yes so this Got would it. have been like right after her murder So the number belonged to a former neighbor of Corey's who said that he had cleaned a gun for Corey a couple weeks earlier. And the gun was a nine millimeter. When Corey brought the gun to him, it was in a collapsible lunchbox. Oh my God. The evidence is just starting to stack up against this fucking idiot. Why was it important to clean the gun? My my assumption is like if it's, clean it's gonna work better it's gonna be less likely to jam he obviously didn't know how to do it on his own so i was like yo dude uh can you clean this gun up for me premeditation yeah yeah so police were like ah shit this i think this is our dude so they end up talking to his girlfriend or one of his fucking girlfriends her name is jenny the one that lived in nashville that he was on his way back to after bumping with the chicken kentucky Gross. She said that he was with her at the time of the murder. Um, she stated that he was with her from 12 to 1230 and was certain of the time because she had made him lunch. And I guess they only eat at a certain time on Sundays. <laughs> so police informed her that they knew she was lying based on the phone records and that she could go to jail for lying during the course of a homicide and homicide, a homicide investigation. And she ended up calling her attorney, but eventually contacted detectives back wanting to discuss the case. And so she volunteered to come back in for questioning and and wanted to, you know, be honest with police and, and give them the details of what actually happened that day. So she stated that she had actually seen Corey that morning, but was kind of woken up. I think she was asleep when he showed up and was, you know, she was just kind of like, whatever. And so she had gone back to sleep. And when she woke up that afternoon, he was he was at her house, but she couldn't actually confirm that he was there at the time of the murder. So does that that make sense? Like she was asleep for when she woke up, he was there, but couldn't like she can't she can't account for his whereabouts when she was straight up unconscious. She didn't make a lunch at 12 to 1230 like she'd initially said. She also admitted that she had stolen a handgun from her ex-husband and put it in a lunchbox. Was that lunchbox collapsible? It wasn't a hard igloo. No, no, no. This fucker folded down and 
You could put it in a drawer. It was convenient. And she had hidden the lunchbox with the gun in it in her vehicle. The only other person who knew that she had possession of that gun was Corey. So his alibi went to absolute Do we know why she stole it from her ex-husband? I don't know. It didn't really say. because she was an accomplice? I think it was more just kind of like, fuck you. I'm going to take your handgun. (laughs) Okay. It's kind of irrelevant, I suppose. She did not steal it for Corey to use for any Ah. reason. I think it was just kind of a fuck you to her ex-husband. But Corey took advantage of that. Exactly. If my suspicions are correct. Well, we're going to see. But so Ginny was like, all right, I'll work with you. Whatever you guys need, you got me. So investigators went through Corey's phone and they found a picture of a handgun on his phone. And they reached out to Jenny, his girlfriend's ex-husband, who confirmed that the photo on Corey's phone was his gun and that the gun was missing. So all of these pieces are falling in together. And he'd also said, you know, I used to shoot that gun on my property. And so there may be some shell casings laying (gasps) around. And police did a quick search and they were actually able to find some of the spent shell casings on this dude's property. They did ballistics tests and were able to confirm that the gun matched the murder weapon. Because of that one shell that they'd found at the crime scene. Yeah, and so they also confirmed that Corey is a big, giant asshole. A dumb, dirty liar. Big, dumb, dirty, lying asshole. So all of this evidence is obviously piling up against Corey, and Jenny had ended up calling detectives and said he's actually planning on leaving the country and is, is wanting to go to Barbados. So... You guys need to like stop him. Oh my god, that's or, so weird. Right from <laughs> from the case from last our week, first yeah. episode. Yes, yeah, a lot of ties to Barbados. Wow. So they asked Jenny if she would be willing to wear a wire and try to get an actual confession from Corey, and she agreed to it. So she she went from like trying to cover for Corey to like fuck this dude. Whatever switched in her, thank goodness for that. And so she wore a wire, called Corey, and told him that the police were coming after her because they had matched the gun to the crime. And so they had made that connection to her. And so she kind of played it off like she was freaking out and needed his help. So he started talking openly about a 9 millimeter gun, a detail that the police had never mentioned. So that was kind of another huge red flag. And told her that she needed to contact Tim. Veronica's husband. So now they're like, whoa, what the fuck? So now they know that Tim is connected to this murder. And, you know, he obviously had the most to gain from her death. So they're just like making all these connections. So Tim was arrested. He was pretty open with police. And he he told police about a crisscross murder plan that he and Corey had had. Basically, Corey was supposed to kill Veronica, and then Tim was supposed to kill the ex-husband of one of Corey's girlfriends. Not Jenny, another girlfriend's ex-husband. So this this fucker just had girlfriends aplenty. So they had this plan that they were each going to, like, murder someone for the other. This plan was inspired by, do you remember the movie from the 80s, Throw Mama from the Train? Oh my god, you're joking. No. If you're not familiar, this was a movie that had Danny DeVito and Billy Crystal, and it was kind of the same thing. 
in the film, Danny DeVito's character was supposed to kill uh, Billy Crystal's character's ex-wife in return for killing his mother and blah, blah, blah. In the movie, no one was killed, but this was kind of the inspiration for their big, great oh plan. God. So embarrassingly, that movie was kind of nice job, a-holes. popular in the U.S. Yeah. 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 I mean, oh no, and God. it was like a big comedy in the 80s, but like no one was actually killed. But I guess that was like these dipshits like inspiration. So so I have a question. Why was Tim arrested and not Corey initially? Corey was arrested. This, but they, oh, they okay. this, sorry, they, this was just me tying like Tim into the plan as well. So, oh, gotcha. So they arrested Corey because of all the circumstantial shit. Yes, and then yes. because of the wire and him saying, you need to talk to Tim, they were like, fuck yeah. yeah so like, okay, this wasn't okay. just Corey killing Veronica. Like obviously Tim is involved now. So we need to bring him in as well. Um take a little sip of beer yeah you wet that whistle mm. is it warm it's at least 84 degrees <laughs> it's room temp <laughs> it's very hot today damn it okay so tim said that they thought that you know they were joking when that they had talked about this plan and he didn't think that Corey was really gonna follow through with it yeah okay whatever fucker but tim had to have told Corey exactly where to be that day there's no way that Tim wasn't clued in to this plan. We're talking 12 minutes. Like Corey had to have been primed and like following her home to ambush her in the garage. Yes. So they learned that Corey followed Veronica home that day. He had, you know, had been at the church, followed her home, all while Tim could run some errands and build his dumb alibi. So obviously get those receipts. Yeah, the grocery store, the hardware store, it was just all part oh of his God. plan to so give him some distance from this crime scene. I so I never mind, I answered my own question. I was gonna ask like where his son was, but you had mentioned earlier that he had dropped his son off with her his sister. And I didn't get any details as to why that was. Like maybe there was a birthday party or whatever. Like Yeah, there's not it's not really relevant, but it still just seems a little like I, I know that the police are probably going to show up to my house, so I'd rather not have my son here to overhear. You know, it just seemed mm, it it mm-hmm, seemed calculated. Mm-hmm. Like they're going to come notify me of Veronica's death, and I don't want our son to be here when that happens. Right, and it it may <sighs> not have been that, but it seems like that's probably likely. So he's like building his alibi, um, and they learned that Corey had pulled in behind Veronica when she got to her house. He was wearing mask and gloves. He ran after her. She fought him off and then he ended up shooting her. Tim told police that the plan was that he was going to pay Corey $35,000 from the life insurance policy payout that he was going to get after Veronica's death. Then Corey was, had offered to give Tim $10,000 to pay off the other guy and part of their genius plan so these these fuckheads were were tried separately but both found guilty of first degree premeditated murder thank god fuck yeah Corey got a sentence of life without parole and tim got a life sentence which means he will have to serve 51 years in prison before he's eligible for parole and their son was raised by his aunt in Nashville. And that's that's all I know. Ha. Huh. I feel so fucking bad for their son. Yeah. 
like he lost both of his parents and his dad's a complete fucking douchebag. Right. But can you imagine like to know that your father had your mother murdered was like the mastermind behind it. And I'm sure Corey was a part of his life too. Yeah, sure. Because they were broskies. His mom's gone. And then, I mean, obviously his dad was an important figure, but probably a second figure in his life murdered her. So the fact that you knew her and worked with her blows my fucking mind. And like I said, I, I didn't know her well. Like, I, I don't like when people try to attach themselves to tragedy to, like, make it about themselves. So I'm not trying to paint this picture like... You knew of her. You had interactions yeah, with her. Yeah, she was a, a work acquaintance. We'll, we'll say that. But I knew enough about her to know that she was a good person. And I had heard her talk about her son multiple times and knew that she loved him so much. When we decided to do this, I was like, I'm covering Veronica's case for it. Yeah. So... Thank you for sharing. Yeah, so that, that was intense. The story of Veronica Boza, and unfortunately, one of many stories of just greed. Money makes people do some really fucking crazy shit. Yeah, and just not wanting to have to let go of things. Like yeah. I'm sure Tim didn't really want full custody of a son, but he didn't want her to have yeah, full custody. Yeah, it's just like it's just such horseshit when kids are used as pawns. And it's just, it's so ugly and it's so nasty and horrible. And the victims are the kids. Exactly. Like at the end of the day, these parents are fucking up their kids. Right. Oh so, my God. It's just awful. But anyway, Veronica was an amazing person. I'm glad you yeah. had an opportunity to know of her. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Cheers for getting through yeah, it. Yeah, thanks. Cheers to you. Clink. Boop. And thank you for listening. All three of you. We appreciate it. <laughs> Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Whatever the highest rating you can give, we would appreciate it. It helps us immensely. Yeah. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram. If you've got any great cases that are not overcooked and baked, send us a, a message at crimewilltellpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Carrie. Bye, Jamie. Bye. <sighs> my chair scooted. Oh, my God. No. That was awesome. If I could be sitting here in my bra and underwear, I, I would. I fucking would. Absolutely, I'm a creep. Of course. Hard to have murder without a couple of a-holes. Or at least one a-hole. It's gonna be a little rough here. I'm washing a comforter. 